Y'all turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, verse 15. We are continuing our series called Growing. We're talking about the attributes that God is working to place in our lives. These are not things we have by nature. These are not things we're born with. These are not things we can acquire on our own. But it's good to have goals. And if you have goals for your, for your physical body, for the kind of condition you want to be in, or for your finances, or for any other area of self-improvement, all of those are important, but none of those are as important as becoming the person God created you to be. He is, once you join His family, He starts this renovation process in your life where eventually He leads you into becoming a person just like Jesus. And it's good for you to know what that looks like, to have a picture of that. Last Two weeks ago, we talked about how it includes love and, and learning to love others, really put others first. And last week, we talked about joy. And hopefully this last week, you, you dealt with some of the things that were stopping you from experiencing the joy once, that God wants you to have. Today, we're going to talk about a third attribute, and that is peace. The attribute of peace. Now, there was a married couple who had an argument one day that was so severe, they just stopped talking to each other. And this went on for a while, and then, then the, the husband realized he had a problem because the next day he had a very important meeting at work very early, and he needed to wake up at 5 a.m., and his wife was his alarm. He didn't use an alarm clock. She was a morning person. She just naturally got up early, and she always woke him up, and he didn't know what to do. He wanted to tell her, I need you to wake me up, but he didn't want to be the one to break the silence, and so you know, he didn't want her to feel like she had won, so he wrote a note, and he said, Please wake me at 5 a.m. Very important. Thank you. And he thought, you know, that's very polite considering the circumstances. He wrote the note. He handed it to her. He watched her read it. Then he went to bed. So he wakes up the next morning. Sun is shining. Birds are chirping. He looks at the clock. It's well past 7 a.m. He bolts out of bed. He's furious. Why? How could his wife do this to him? And then he notices there's a note right next to his bed. And it, and it says, it's 5 a.m. Wake up. The elderly pair of sisters that had been living together for years since both of them were widowed. And they got to the point where they just argued all the time. I mean, they hadn't gotten along when they were girls. I don't know why they thought they'd get along as adults, but here they were living in the same house and constantly fighting, constantly arguing over the least little things. And one day, one of them said to the other, I just can't take this anymore. We've got to do something. We can't go on living like this. And the other one said, well, I agree. And the truth is, since we're Christians, our first step should be to pray about it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray starting today that one of us will die soon. Because that way, that's the only way we'll both be happy. Because if one of us dies, that one will be in heaven and I'll go live with my kids. Think about it for a minute. See, conflict is, conflict is funny when it happens to somebody else. But when it's happening to us, it's not very funny. It, it's, there's not much humor in knowing that someone you love, someone you should be close to, someone you once were close to, is at odds with you. It's no fun going to work every day knowing there's that person in the office that just hates your guts and you can't stand her either. It's no fun living in a neighborhood where that person blows their leaves onto your lawn on purpose. Where that guy plays his radio loud on purpose late at night because 
of something you did long ago or maybe something he did that you retaliated by. Conflict is no fun. It, it is stressful. It's one of the most stressful things. Have you ever been in a church that's full of conflict? That's miserable. I mean, there's, there's no greater denial of the presence of Christ than coming into a church where people aren't talking to each other, where people are angry and at odds. Conflict is awful. It hurts. Years ago, um, when my daughter, who's now about to turn 20, I hate saying those words, but it's true. When she was preschool, we took a vacation that's still to this day my favorite vacation ever. And we could only afford it because it was during the school year. We went in September when the, the rates were lower because it was quote unquote off season, but we rented a condo at the beach in Port Aransas. And it was really a neat place. They had the, the biggest pool in Texas by their own publicity. And so every day we had the same routine. We'd get up, we'd sleep late, we'd, we'd get up and we'd, we'd go to the beach. And then when we got tired of being on the beach, we'd go in and, and swim in the pool. And when we got tired of that, we'd go inside and take a nap. And then we'd wake up and we'd go somewhere and eat seafood. And then we'd go back onto the beach and then back of the pool, rinse and repeat. We just kept it up the whole week long. It was so nice. It was so relaxing. We were living like the other half. It was fantastic. But while we were enjoying those coastal breezes and the shrimp cocktail and all that great stuff, there was a storm out in the Atlantic headed toward the Gulf of Mexico called Hurricane Ivan. And at its peak, Ivan was roughly the size of the state of Texas. It was a Category 5 storm at its highest point, 165 mile an hour winds and soaking rain, and it made landfall in Alabama. And when it was all said and done, combining what happened in Alabama and Grenada and Cuba and all along the way, there were $18 billion with a B, billion dollars worth of damage. And I think about that when I think about conflict because there are, there are people in this room who would say, right now, my relationships are good. I'm going through a time of peace. But you can see a storm out there on the horizon. You can see that some things are building that could explode. Some of you are in the midst of a storm, but you can remember when it was peaceful. You can remember when you were, when everything was great, harmony and, and peace and and good feelings, and you, you long for those days. And some of you would say, I can't even remember when it was good. Maybe it never was good. It's always been hard. But wouldn't it be great if you had harmony in your, harmony in your relationships? Wouldn't it be great if there was peace and there was no one who hated you and no one who was mad at you and no one that you were resentful of? Well, believe it or not, that is God's will for you. That is what God wants for you in all of your relationships. Look with me at, at Colossians 3.15. It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Three things real quickly about this verse. First of all, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It doesn't say in the other guy's heart. It doesn't say you make the peace of Christ rule in her heart because she's messed up and you're okay. It doesn't say that. It says let the peace of Christ rule in your heart because that's all you have control over. Your attitude, your actions are all that you can control. You can't control their response. But you can start by letting the peace of Christ rule in you. Notice also that it's the peace of Christ. You know what Jesus was? Jesus was not just this warm and fuzzy guy who approved of everybody. He was... He was a truth teller. He spoke words that people didn't like to hear. The, tr the peace of Christ is not some kind of cheap smoothing over the rough patches so it looks like things are good. I've been in those kinds of relationships 
where there was hatred and resentment beneath the surface and you just sort of agreed to disagree and didn't really talk about it. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a peace where there's transparency, where there's openness, where there's acceptance, where there's a willingness to talk about the hard things and confront the, the problems you have and deal with them and move on. But then notice also that, that verb, that verb rule. Let the peace of Christ rule, it says. And I love this. In, in Greek, the word rule that he uses, that actual verb means, it, it's directly translated, it would be act as an umpire. Let the peace of Christ act as an umpire. Now, Paul never saw baseball. He didn't live long enough to see that, but he was a sports fan, and I'm not making that up. If you read the letters of Paul, he often talked about athletics. He talked about racing. He talked about uh, sprinting. He talked about wrestling. He talked about boxing. And I'm, I'm convinced if he was alive today, he'd be a big Jose Altuve fan. I mean, he would, he, he would love... The, the Houston Astros because he's, he's a righteous man and he, and he wants to root for the good guys, right? Um, George Springer, you know, uh, Carlos Correa. But the thing is, even in his day, an umpire served the same function. Think about, for those of you who are into baseball now or if you've ever played it, when an umpire makes a call in baseball, his word is law. I mean, it, it, the call does not get changed. And I know in the major leagues now this year, as of this year, they have, they have uh, instant replay. But even that, even that is ruled on by another umpire further up the food chain. And that manager comes running out of the dugout, dressed in his baseball uniform and, and acting like a three-year-old and kicking sand and cursing and, and throwing a fit. doesn't matter how long he yells or how loud he yells or how profane he is, that umpire is not changing his mind. In fact, if you, if you act like a big enough jerk, he'll throw you out of the game and you have to leave. You don't have, there's no appeal. The umpire rules. And what Paul is saying here is, let peace rule in all your relationships. That means that everything you say and everything you do, you need to have peace as your motivation. That means that if you know you're going to wound somebody, you better make sure it's worth damaging the peace in that relationship for, for right now. Sometimes it is. Sometimes hard words need to be spoken. Sometimes you know going in, I'm going to make this person mad. I'm going to hurt this person's feelings, but I have to because it's necessary out of love. But most of the time, you look at it and say, you know, I could say this, but it would wound them and it's not worth it. It's not worth it. There's no good reason for this. There's no loving reason to hurt them the way that I will. Everything you do, ask yourself, is this going to contribute to peace or is this going to widen the gulf between us? Let peace rule. There's other scriptures, many other scriptures that deal with this subject. I want to share several with you. First of all, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 9, says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. It's one way the people of this world know we belong to the Lord is because where we go, we bring peace with us. We bring people together. We don't glory in conflict. We don't glory in hurting people's feelings and, and laying down the law. No, we glory in reconciliation and bringing together black and white and, and old and young and rich and poor and, and people who've said ugly things to each other and now they're resentful. We're the ones who bridge that gap and make things right. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7 says, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to live at peace with him. Now, I know that Jesus told us that if we live for Christ, if we live the way we should, there are going to be people who hate us and there are going to be people who persecute us. 
But please understand, if you're living for Christ, you're doing your best to live the life He called you to live, and people hate you anyway, that's on them. But if people hate you because you're a jerk, don't use Christianity as your excuse. In fact, if there's one time I want you to deny Christ, it's when you've been a jerk and people want to blame Jesus for it. Say, hey, that's not Him. That's on me. If you're living the way Christ wants you to, most people, even your own enemies, are going to have to say, i got to admit, He's a good guy. i got to admit, it's my fault. And then there's this one. This is the one I really like. Proverbs 12, 18. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Notice the first two words. If possible. Because frankly, it's not always possible. There are people in this world that are so emotionally damaged, hateful, whatever the case may be. There's nothing you can do to make things right with them. The question is, have you done Everything that depends upon you. Is your goal to live at peace with everyone? Or do you consider it a badge of honor having people who are mad at you? Having people who you've wounded? That's nothing to be proud of. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I'm going to give you a warning. What we're about to shift into, this part of the message, is going to bother some of you deeply. Okay? Because what I'm going to say I believe is biblical. You check it against the Scriptures. If, if it's not, you let me know. But if it is, then this is something God wants many of you to put into practice today before the sun goes down. He wants you to address some relationships and He wants you to address them honestly. Seeking reconciliation. But my warning to you is because of human pride that we all carry, everything within you is going to fight against what I'm about to say. You're going to be saying, okay, that sounds great, but not for me. I wish that other guy was here. I wish she was here because she needs to hear this, but not me. Not me. I can't go there. Don't listen to that voice in your head. It's not thinking about what's best for you. The Lord who inspired His Word is. So, my question is, how do we live with the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts? How do we bring peace to our broken relationships all of our broken relationships with family members, with people who once were close friends, with co-workers, with neighbors, with casual acquaintances. How do we make peace? Four things. First of all, number one, determine what I did to start the conflict or to throw gasoline on the fire. Determine my responsibility. That's the first step. Take responsibility for your part in starting this or in widening the gulf between you. Now, I know you have your list of grievances. I've been there. I know you mentally rehearse them. You you think back to them and it burns you up inside. And you think about all the things you'd like to do if you could, if it were legal, if you wouldn't get into trouble. You've got your list. We all do. And I'm telling you to throw that list away. I'm telling you to set it aside and start making a different kind of list. And this list says, okay, here's my part in this conflict. Here's here's how I've contributed. And maybe you could honestly say, maybe you're one of the one or two people in this room who could honestly say, I did nothing to hurt this person. I did nothing to start this. It's all on them. Even so, you could look at it and say, okay, here's some things I could have done. I could have 
taken the initiative here. I could have avoided saying this over here. I could have chosen not to talk to all of our mutual acquaintances and get them all on my side. Here, here are the things that I have done, which honestly, it's, my, it's on me. Those things are on me. Those are things that in the power of Christ I shouldn't have done. In the will of God I shouldn't have done. Be honest with yourself. Be totally and completely honest. And ask yourself when you've written that list, is this the list that the Holy Spirit of God would approve of and say, yeah, you haven't left out a thing. Second step, confess those things before God. Because believe it or not, you may not see it this way, but believe it or not, if you've contributed to the conflict in any way, through neglect or omission or through overt action, then those are all sins. If you've, anything you've done that was not the express will of God is a sin. Anything that you should have done that you chose not to do because it was too hard is a sin. Confess it before God. And I've got good news for you. 1 John 1.9, 1, one of the most precious promises anywhere in the world, says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Proverbs, I'm sorry, Psalms tells us that God removes our sin as far from us as the east is from the west. He throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. It's gone. He'll never mention it before you again. So you are forgiven. But here's the thing. We're not really good at this whole confession thing. Now, we as Baptists and other Protestants, we like to make fun of our Catholic brothers and sisters and, and going to see a priest and doing confession that way. And we, we like to puff our chest and say, well, I don't need a priest. I can go directly to God. But how often do you? How often do you sit before your heavenly Father and specifically confess the things that you've done? I tell you what we usually do. We'll say things like, well, you know, nobody's perfect. I'm sure not perfect. Or, you know, I, I know I have flaws. Or here's this one. Have you ever heard this one? Lord, please forgive me for the many ways that I failed you. We're very general. We're very vague when we talk about our own sin. We're quite specific talking about the sins of others, but with ourselves, we like to be quite vague. There was a young man who went off to college, and like a lot of people his age, especially males, he had no real life skills. He knew, he knew some stuff about sports and about cars and about rock music and about girls, but that was about it. And his mom gave him this big canvas bag, and she said, listen, here's what you need to do when you take off your clothes and they're dirty, you put them in this bag, and then at the end of the week, you've got all your dirty clothes in one spot. You can just carry them down to the, down to the laundromat, and uh, you can wash your clothes. So first week at school, he's been there five or six days. He's got a bag full, and he carts that, that bag over his shoulder down to the laundromat and gets himself a handful of quarters. He puts, puts the clothes in the, in the uh, washing machine and the, uh, and the detergent and gets it started. And all of a sudden, there's this horrible knocking noise, and the washing machine looks like it's possessed. It's, it's jolting and, and rocking back and forth, and he doesn't know what to do. And to make matters worse, here comes this very pretty young woman walking towards him, looking right at him, and he knows, I'm, I, I'm, I'm being embarrassed here, but what do I do? And the young woman walks up to him, and she said, um, listen, it works better if you take the clothes out of the bag. And it does. Quick life hack for any of you who don't know that. Yeah, take the clothes out of the bag. In the same way, confession works better when you pull it all out. You lay it all out on the table before God. Why? Why is that? Is it because God needs to be reminded of our sin? Absolutely not. He sure doesn't need to be informed. He knows our sin better than we do. 
He wants us to confess specifically because we need it, not because He does. Because there's something powerful that happens inside of us when we, for the very first time, with our own lips, call our sin what it is. When we say to God, even if only to God, okay, Lord, I know what I said to Him, and it was awful. And it was, I, I said it because I wanted to hurt His feelings, and I'm sure I did. Lord, I, I, the other day when, when she was pushing my buttons, I, I just exploded on her, and I know I shouldn't have. I know that was wrong. I just, it was easier to explode than to hold it in. You know, Lord, I, that guy at, at work, I can't stand him. And I, today I did it again. I, I sat down with some people at the office and talked bad about him because I want them to be on my side. And I know that's wrong. Please forgive me. When you say those things out loud, it reminds you of how desperately you need God's grace. It reminds you of how sinful you and I both are. It reminds us of how much we need to change and only He can change us. So confess those things before God. And then third, here comes the hard part. comes the part you're really not going to want to do. Confess them to the other person. Confess them to the other person. Now let me tell you what I don't mean. If there's somebody you just don't like and they're really kind of not aware of how you feel, don't show up one day and say, by the way, please forgive me for hating your guts. Yeah, that's not helpful. It's not. That's, That's not what I'm talking about at all. I've actually heard about people doing that. That's just wrong. No, I'm talking about a a situation where there is outright conflict, where you know they hold something against you, and you know they know you hold something against them. And you go to them out of the blue, and you just say, with no agenda, with with no rationalization, or, hey, hey man, you deserved it, but... No, you just go and you say, I know what I did to you, and I know it's wrong. And I wish I could take it back. I can't, but I'm coming to you right now to say, if there's anything I can do to try to make things right, let's, let's do it. I, I want to do that. You tell me. You go to that person and confess what you've done and just initiate reconciliation. And I know that's not what we want to do. One of my favorite, actually my favorite comic strip of all time is Calvin and Hobbes. Anybody else? Calvin and Hobbes fan? Good stuff. So Calvin's this little boy, right? He's got this stuffed tiger Hobbes that whenever no adults are around, the the tiger comes to life and gives him this great advice. Hobbes for president, in my opinion, in 2020. But um, Hobbes in this one comic strip, okay, I didn't mean to get political, but in, in this one comic strip, Calvin is upset at himself because there's this little girl down the street named Susie, and Susie uh, and he are always at odds with each other, and, and so Calvin's saying, you know, I, I'm, I really regret the things I said to Susie. I know I hurt her feelings. I feel bad about that. And, and Hobbes says, well, why don't you go apologize to her? And Calvin says, well, I keep hoping for a less obvious solution. And that's like us. Because I guarantee you, if you're in conflict right now, of you at at least, 90% of you would say, yeah, I know what I could do. I know what would at least get the ball rolling toward reconciliation. I just, I keep hoping for a less obvious solution. I I keep hoping there's some miracle that happens. You know, I, I, I keep hoping that they'll come groveling before me, kissing my feet. It's not gonna happen. It's our job 
Blessed are the peacemakers. As far as it depends upon you, be at peace with everyone. Take the initiative. Do the hard thing. Go out of your way. And then number four, and this is the scary part, lay your weapons down. Lay your weapons down. And what I mean by that is, when you go to this person, go with no agenda, with no backup plan. Don't go in saying, okay, I'll try this. Preacher said I need to try it. I guess I should. But if he doesn't respond in kind, I am going to blast him with both barrels. I, I, I'll go and I'll confess everything that I think I've done wrong, but I better hear an apology back from them or I'm walking away and I'm writing them off forever. No, I, don't do that. Go before them just saying, here's what I've done. Let me know what I can do. And that's it. No expectation. No, no plan for here's how I'm going to get back at you. If this doesn't work out, setting aside, setting aside all the things you want to do, all the desires for bad things to happen to them, all the little passive aggressive stuff you do to try to get people on your side or to make them feel guilty, which never works, by the way. Lay your weapons down. Near where I grew up, out in the country, there's a cemetery called Pilot Grove. My maternal grandparents are buried there. Several of my other close relatives are there too. I've been there many times. Years ago, I, I was doing a funeral there. My grandpa was still alive. And after the funeral, I was walking around looking at some of the tombstones. I find that interesting. I find it interesting to kind of try to guess people's stories. I saw these two tombstones I'd never seen before. They were from the 1940s. And it was obviously brothers. They, were, they had the same last name. They had, there was a picture on each tombstone. Have you ever seen tombstones that have these? They're, they're pretty rare, but they look very much alike. Two youngish men, so in their late 30s, early 40s. That used to be old. That's very young now. Um, so these two men buried next to each other, and what I noticed about them was they died on the same day. And so I asked my grandpa, what happened here? Did you know these men? He said, yeah, I did. And he told me the story. These two men were part of a family in which the dad had died and had left land to both of them. And one of the brothers had built a fence to separate those two plots of land, his from his brother's. And the other brother said, hey, you built that a few feet on my side. He said, no, I didn't. I had that surveyed. It's, it's right. It's exactly the way dad laid it out. And the other brother said, no, you didn't. I was there. I know what he said, and that's not what he said. And Back and forth it went. It got more and more heated. This went on for quite a while. One day they happened to be in the same house together, even though they hadn't been really talking to each other for a while. But there they were in the same house, and it, it got ugly. They, they got heated in their conversation with each other. And one of the brothers said, listen, I'm going home, and I'm getting my gun. And when I get back, you better be gone. So he went and got his gun, but the other brother didn't leave. Instead, he went into the bedroom and got his own gun. And this is a very, very small community. And so when those shots were fired, everyone heard and everyone knew where it came from. And my grandfather was one of the first people on the scene. He drove out there. A couple of other men went with him to, to see what had happened. Grandpa said, I, my hands were shaking. He, my grandpa was probably around 20 at the time. They found two brothers dead, shot to death by one another. And I just, you can't help think when you hear that story, what if one of those brothers would have said, okay, here's my gun. This is not worth it. 
We're about to take each other's lives over a few feet of dirt. This is not worth it. I'm setting this gun down. What would have happened? I'd be willing to bet everything that I have that if one of those brothers had done that, they both would have lived long lives and seen their children's children and had all kinds of experiences together. And I, I, I tell you this also, they would have gotten over that dispute. I mean, we're talking about a few feet. Someone would have come in and arbitrated. Or even if they hadn't, they would have learned to live with it. Yeah, my brother cheated me out of three feet of land. Really, Grandpa? You're still mad about that? I mean, it would have, it would have passed. Lay your weapons down. And you'll see that what you're so angry about is not worth the damage you're doing to your own soul, the example you're setting for those who know you and love you, the, the hurt you're causing to that other person, and the disobedience that you're in the midst of in your relationship with God. In Sweden, several years ago, a man uh, and his wife were separated, and the man knew that she was going to file for divorce soon. So he did a strategic thing that you and I are going to find pretty strange. He went to his investment banker and liquidated all of their assets. Every, every investment they shared together, he turned it into cash. He took that big bundle of cash into his backyard, and he set it on fire and burned it all. His attitude was, if she's going to get part of it, I'm going to make sure she doesn't get any of it. And how ridiculous is that? And yet, how ridiculous are we holding on to our anger, our resentment, our disputes, our pain, trying to inflict guilt on someone else, trying to make someone else grovel, when all we have to do is do what God has commanded us to do. Now, I know, I know some of you are really taking this hard, and, and maybe you're really angry at me right now, and maybe, maybe what you would say is, you don't understand. You haven't been hurt like I've been hurt. And you know what? I'm sure you're right. Because I've had my, my wounds and my disputes and my conflicts, but it probably doesn't compare to yours. I'm not speaking as an expert in reconciliation. I'm speaking as someone who's just doing his best to interpret the Scriptures. And some of you may say, but you don't understand if I lay down my weapons, if I don't fight back, then this person's going to eat me for lunch. You may be right. I'm not saying this is without risk or that it would be easy. Remember, Jesus, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, not your couch cushion. Nobody said this would be easy. Some of you would say, you don't understand. I'm an aggressive person by nature. I can't let somebody else win. If I go to them and I'm the first one to apologize and I'm the first one to act like it was all my fault, they're going to feel like they beat me and I can't stand that. Listen, let me just be honest with you. No matter what your personality type is or whatever's happened to you, whether it's big or small, I'll be honest, we can't do this. This is, not, this is not within the realm of our abilities. You can't, you can't work up within yourself the humility it takes and the wisdom it takes to make this happen. Except for one thing. See, Jesus Christ, God made man, came into this world for the express purpose of reconciling with us. 
He knew there was a dispute between us that was so wide, so deep, in infinity could have fit between the gap, in the gap between us. There was no way we were ever going to be reconciled. He had to take the step. He had to take not just the first step, but all the steps. He came to reconcile with us, to give us eternal life. Our response was to treat him like a traitor, like a, a demon-possessed lunatic, to treat him like someone we hated. And ultimately, we captured him and we spat in his face and we beat him with our hands and we flayed the skin off his back and we nailed him naked to a cross and we watched him die defiant, thinking we had done something good. And all the while, he kept saying, forgive them. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Because, because he knew no matter how much pain it took, that's what it took to reconcile us and him. And he'd rather die for you than spend eternity without you. And that's why, that's the only reason why I and you and anyone else who's willing can come and, and walk into his family and say, okay, I know what I've done, but I'm yours now. And because of that, because of that, when we have an enemy and we think, I can't do this, Lord. They've hurt me too bad. I can't do this, Lord. I'm just too proud. I can't do this, Lord. It's too risky. All we have to do is stand before Him and say, Lord, I can't do this. Please give me the strength to do this. Please give me the words to say, I'm going to obey You right now even though I don't feel like it. I'm going to choose to pray for them even though in my heart I don't want to pray for them. I want to pray for them to die and go straight to hell. But I'm going to pray for good to happen to them. I'm going to pray for their heart to change. And I'm going to go before them and I'm going to lay down my weapons and just say, what does it take for us to come back together? What can I do to make things right with you? And then you can walk away knowing that either you've won them back or you've done everything you possibly can. Your conscience is clear. I bet almost everyone in this room has somebody that this sermon has brought to mind. Some conflict, maybe from long ago, maybe from recently. Somebody that's just churning your guts. Don't go to bed tonight without addressing this. Your flesh says no. Your flesh says walk away. This is not for you. This is for other people. You're the victim here. You don't need to do anything. But don't listen to your flesh. Listen to the Holy Spirit's voice speaking into your heart right now through God's Word and hopefully through me. And just say, wouldn't it be great to say I've been obedient to God to follow the example of Christ and just lay down my weapons and, and just make the initiative to make things right? Wouldn't it be great if I, could, if I could live at peace with everyone in my life? Imagine the lack of stress. Imagine the glory that would give to God. Imagine the example that would set for everyone who's watching. And obey the Lord and let peace rule.